Keeping up on Seattle-area politics is tough. Who has time to sit through a three-hour council meeting and sort out which decisions will affect you most? Please vote aye. 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 Well, what if getting caught up on current events was as simple as getting a cup of coffee with some City Hall insiders who know which stories are hot and which are not? Welcome to Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And thanks for being with us on Seattle News, Views, and Brews, your signpost at the intersection of caffeine and public affairs. I'm Brian Callanan, host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. I am joined once again by Seattle City Council Insights, Kevin Schofield. Kevin, good to see you. Hey, Brian. Here we go. Special thanks, as always, to City Grind Espresso, the owners, John and Charlie. They run the coffee stand on the first floor of City Hall, but thanks to the wonders of modern sound technology, they are also our background noise sponsor. Amazing, and thank you. All right. Background noise. Love it. You got to have it. Well, let's get going with right here, right now. So with this part of the program, we are working through what's happening right now in Seattle area politics here in the third week of February. And Kevin, you wrote a great piece a few days ago. The log jam is open. We have so much activity happening at the city council level here. January was a little slower. Now we're talking about a ton of stuff. Mandatory housing affordability is one that I'm looking at. Uh, Let's talk about that and and any of the other pieces you're talking about right now. Yeah. So as you've gone through the whole mandatory housing affordability uh, scheme and put it in place around the city, there's been one piece that's missing. Yeah. And that's the university district. Right. And uh, now the city council come back around to take one last try at that. Well, maybe not one last try. I may take a few more tries. Yeah, we'll see how many times. Yeah. This is going to be the third time. Maybe the third time's a charm for this. Yeah. Um, there are all these issues around what would they do with the AV right. around uh, University Boulevard in the U District, which you know has this great sort of historical charm and culture to it. But it's the one piece of the city that you know hasn't been upsound, and more importantly, hasn't had the MHA. Uh, requirements for affordable affordable housing actually attached to it yet. Yeah. But it's controversial because uh, while we love to get you know more affordable housing mm-hmm. out of you know any further development that happens in that area, there are uh, local business owners and local residents who worry about losing the charm of the app. Sure. If if this ends up being something that encourages more redevelopment that would happen otherwise. Right. And whether there's going to be displacement of local businesses. Yeah. What we're talking about is putting an upper level setback above 45 feet uh, 45 feet, I should say, for structures abutting the Ave there. And this was such a big pushback. I remember 2017, the council approved something on this, carved out that piece for the U District. 2019, I know Rob Johnson, formerly of the council, fought hard for this one and didn't get it. I, I just wonder if this new council we're talking about here has the political will to try to make something like that happen. Obviously, those U District businesses have been very strong in pushing back on this. They have, and they, they managed to get it delayed so they could finish um, that study. A, a local study right. of of what it's going to mean for the businesses there and we'll just see how much, if any, weight that carries with yeah. this council. But it, as you said, it's a new council in a yeah. lot of ways right now, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, and more on MHA. I know uh, Councilmember Strauss, who's working on that land use issue there with the U District and the MHA. Uh, MHA, in a different sense here, looking at 
Displacement Protection. This one's really interesting. It's got a hearing coming up in March. This is a Lisa Herbold bill. She tried with this last year, I remember. Didn't go through. We're talking about this again. This is basically making sure if there are existing affordable units, let's say in an older building, something like that, you got to replace them is basically the, uh, the idea here, right? For certain areas of the city. Yeah. So when they went through MHA, they took all the urban villages of the city and they said, you know, they sort of mapped them out as to whether they are high or low risk of displacement and high or low opportunity. Yep. And so what they've said for now is they particularly are trying to highlight the ones that are high risk of displacement and low opportunity and said for those that this bill that's proposed would add additional requirements so that affordable housing units that would get destroyed in a redevelopment project would have to be replaced. Yeah, a lot still ahead with this one. And I just, I mentioned that thing about the log jam being open and I'm gonna try to get through the list here because there are so many different things the council working on right now. That displacement protection piece, a big one. We mentioned earlier what's happening with the U District trying to work on mandatory housing affordability there. I know there's a tree ordinance in the work in the works. That looks like it's gonna take a while, although a lot of people singing at the council meetings. That, that's, that's always there a good time. This week. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Uh, council member Sawant talking about a 180-day notice on rent increases. She wants to ban uh, natural gas piping into new residential units, that old Mike O'Brien measure from last year. I, 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 how do you deal with this, Kevin? You're juggling a lot right now, and I am too on this. It's been a crazy week, yeah. and, it, and it's going to be a super busy next few months for yeah. the city council and all of their staff as they try to work these things through. Yeah. And we're going to see a, a lot of... Uh, Strong opinions in public comment in yeah, city council meetings. For sure. And some strong opinions, I would imagine, too, as we get ready to listen to the state of the city from Mayor Durkin here. I know she's had some back and forth with the council here regarding this winter eviction ban, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. Funding for law enforcement assisted diversion list goes on here. Uh, let me know about what you're expecting her to talk about. Well, I think, you know, she has tried to position herself and we can argue about whether it was successful or not, mm. as a good governance mayor. Yeah. I really kind of focused on the basics of, of the city. Yeah. So I expect her to talk a lot about that. Public safety, housing and homelessness, transportation, the big issues that kind of we're talking about. She can't not talk about those three yeah. in a state, state of the city address. I don't know if she's going to have any big new initiatives outside of that, but certainly around public safety, given it's such top of mind, I'm sure she's going to say more about that. Yeah. Um, she just let it be known that she's running for re-election next year. Yeah. You know, her credibility and approval ratings are pretty good right now. They're certainly better than the city council yeah. as a whole. So I think, you know, we're going to, I, I think we're likely to see her try to cement her reputation yeah. and, and her credibility, you know, leading into election next year and to just try to push forward with the kinds of initiatives that, yeah. that she's already announced over that, the last few months. Yeah, that public safety piece, I think, is going to be a big test in the in the weeks and months upcoming. I, I know that uh, Councilmember Juarez sponsored that clerk file, as it's called, to get Durkin on the docket to actually speak in council chambers here. But it had me thinking here, who are Mayor Durkin's allies on the council as you see it here? How does that suss out in your mind? Well, first of all, I'd say I, I wouldn't read too much into Juarez sponsoring okay. that. Juarez happens, is, yeah. is council president pro tem this yes, month, yes, yes. right? Yeah. So that would kind of fall on her to, to, to schedule that out. However, however, <laughs> you know, I think if you look across the council, I'm not sure she has allies mm. per se there. Yeah. I think you could kind of look at the spectrum and say, who are are the people who are more willing to work with her and mm -hmm. who are the people who are clearly not willing to work with her on things. Yeah. I think yeah. kind of on the more willing, certainly Juarez yeah. has a good track record of that. Yeah. Um, new council member Alex Peterson, mm -hmm. um, Lorena Gonzalez, 
Lisa Herbold have, mm-hmm. have both shown that they're willing to, you know, sit down and kind of work through issues and find the compromise. Mm-hmm. Teresa Mosqueda is kind of a harder read. Yeah. She's been a consensus builder on a lot of issues on the council, but there are also persistent rumors that she wants to run against Durkin for mayor yeah. next year. Yeah. And so if that's true, and she hasn't really said anything explicitly about that yet, yeah. we may see her take more shots at Durkin in the next yeah. year. Yeah. Kind of position herself as, as something. She's got the big labor backing, although labor backed Durkin last time too. So yeah, that's true. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how that all plays out. And I think it's interesting watching council members Swant and Morales really seem to have formed their own block in, in uh, I don't know if you call it voting against Durkin, but certainly being uh, loud in their uh, rebukes uh, of her on the council. Uh, loud in their rebukes, uh, in their rebukes of, of Durkin and just in general, uh, you know, as you said, Morales and Swant are voting consistently as a block yeah. on everything. Yeah. And since, you know, Sawant, you could argue that Morales is taking a lead from Sawant. I don't yeah. know. You know, we, we haven't... Morales is actually pretty quiet on a lot of issues. Yeah. There, but but she is very, very consistently voted with Sawant on this. So, yeah. you know, we'll, I think we can expect more of that. There's no reason to believe that that's going to change any time in the future. And it's hard to know what it would take to get Morales to split from Sawant on an issue. Yeah. At council members Lewis and Strauss uh, really playing the nice guy role right now, I guess. This whole idea of trying to maintain their progressive status, but still have a, a little back and forth with the mayor here. Uh, they're playing an interesting role, too. Yeah, and and they're new. They can still, you know, I'm not sure the honeymoon is over yeah. for them yet. Although with some of the issues we talked about no that kidding. are now coming up yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, in, in legislation, they're going to have to take some harder positions, like with the, the MHA and the yep. U-District and yep. with uh, the, um, the tree protection ordinance. All right. Well, let's switch it up to now hear this. All right. This is where we review some of the activity over the last week and listen into what city leaders are saying about it. I wanted to talk about the winter evictions ban, kind of what we got out of this. The council passed this unanimously, but it's a very different bill from where it started. We're going to listen in to council member Andrew Lewis, who successfully put in an amendment that would put aside some money for landlords who might be adversely affected by this. So there were a number of amendments, and overall, that was seen by council member Swant, the sponsor, is kind of watering down the ordinance. But I want you to listen to council member Lewis from the February 10th meeting. This was his rationale. He says all these amendments not only will potentially help out landlords, help out this legislation, but help the city deal with potentially legal trouble in passing this legislation. I think anything that we can incorporate into it that gives uh, more flexibility, is more cognizant of um, existing rules and um, existing things that make this look more reasonable in court um, does bode well for the legislation as a whole and and, um, having it survive that challenge. Kevin, I know you were struck by that. You have a good legal background. And what he said there, you don't hear that a lot from the dais. You you don't. The city council members, uh, you can imagine, are trained pretty well not to make public comments about the legal issues related to legislation because anything that they say is going to end up quoted in court. Well, this is a guy from the city attorney's office. And he works in the city attorney's office, <laughs> yeah. so you think you know. But, yeah. um, so it was unusual that, that, that he said that out loud, mm-hmm. um, but he did. Not untrue. Uh, certainly not untrue. And it's, and it's still, after the mayor signs it and goes into effect, yeah. it's still going to get challenged in court yeah. around whether it uh, – 
violates property rights of, uh, of landlords. Yeah. Let's break down some of these amendments here. So with Councilmember Lewis, he established that fund that would help out landlords in this situation, about $500,000 there. And he, sa- he says he's hoping to get $500,000. Yeah, that, that's a budget there issue. There is actually no budget for true, right now. True, right? true, true, true. Which means that, you know, until there's money there, it's me- it's effectively meaningless. Right? Fair enough. Now, Fair enough. this bill, if it runs through and goes into effect right away, you know, it'll be towards the end of March anyway. So yeah. only about maybe a week or so mm-hmm. of, of this winter that would apply to. Mm-hmm. But there's no money for picking up again in, in December. So he's right. got to find some money for the month of December if he wants anything to happen there. And then they've got to work this out through the 2021 budget next yeah, fall. Right. So that's going to be one of the issues, too. In terms of the other amendments there, uh, there's a limitation now to the number of months involved. It's December to February, not November through March. Councilmember Strauss pushing that one through. Strauss also worked to limit the use of this provision, of this uh, protection, I should say, uh, by high-income tenants. Doesn't want them to be using this. I want to talk about Councilmember Peterson uh, exempting small landlords here with four units or fewer. Your thoughts on this one? This was a very interesting twist. I, I, I thought this was uh, a really eyebrow-raising. And, and Councilmember Swant raised some really interesting objections yeah. to this, including that, you know, from a tenant's point of view, how do they know? How yeah. can they even figure out how many units their landlord owns? Yeah. Right? She said that her office tried to do this last year with a piece of legislation when they were working in a similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't figure it out for a lot of them, right? Yeah. Now, some landlords, you know, specifically try to kind of limit their own legal liability and obfuscate this a little bit by sort of bunching up, you know, small numbers of their units in different LLCs that all sort of roll up to, a, you know, a larger LLC. Mm-hmm. But you know, even beyond that, it's just, even just for small landlords, it's just, it's just hard to go through and tell. And so to think that a low-income tenant who's facing eviction in the winter would be able to kind of do all the legal legwork to figure this out, that's a pretty tough sell. Yeah, it is too. And I know we've been asking, uh, or Councilmember Sawant was asking some questions about this, but we've got some questions to ask about Councilmember Sawant too. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Some ethics violations charged against Councilmember Sawant. This is a story you broke, Kevin, on Seattle City Council Insight. And I wanted to break this down a little bit further here. Uh, she's been working on this tax Amazon campaign. Uh, let's talk about that, uh, what you've learned from this whole process. I know there's been a lot of activity over the last week or so. That's right. So Councilmember Sawant and her office have been uh, helping to organize the tax Amazon campaign, which is a coalition of a number of different organizations, including you know her political party, Socialist Alternative, and a number of local activist groups. Uh, the, the, the Tax Amazon campaign has got its own website. They're doing fundraising up there. They've been running a petition to, uh, around one of the issues we talked about earlier, which is uh, preemption uh, and uh, in uh, this House bill for uh, big business. Yeah, we're going to get to that yeah. in just a minute. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what the what uh, Sawant and her office have been doing is trying to promote this. And they've decided kind of uh, sort of at her level in her office, they want to go after a two-pronged approach to this. Mm-hmm. They want to uh, propose uh, a piece of legislation uh, uh, to go through the city council that would actually introduce a payroll tax. Yep. But they also want to, through this tax Amazon movement, uh, launch a ballot initiative. And so uh, since the middle of January, they've been pushing this organization to organize a ballot initiative, mm-hmm. including signature gathering and right. all that stuff. And January 25th, they officially you know, had a meeting, one yep. of two mean in-person meetings they've had, where they passed a resolution saying, we're going to go do a ballot initiative. Yep. Right. Now, 
city and state law are very clear yeah. that public funds may not be used to support or or oppose local ballot initiatives. Yeah, and right? this is stuff that she's had on her city council website. She's used her city council email, things of those names. Her yeah. and her council office have been yeah. official co-sponsors of yeah. the events that they've been running. Right. This is really pretty blatant that, yeah. that she has been throwing a lot of weight. And, it, you know, it's easy to say, well, it's, you know, a couple links and maybe a website and all that stuff, but does it really matter? But if you flip it around and say, suppose city funds are being used to oppose sure. a grassroots ballot initiative, then yeah. it's like, well, okay, that mm-hmm. looks really awful. Clearly yeah. the city should not be doing that, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, but this is all in together. So you can't say that they, they can't oppose it, but it's okay if they support it, right? Mm-hmm. City funds, public funds just need to be separate from local grassroots voter initiatives. Yeah. And again, city law and state law are just really explicit on this point. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we're talking about three violations that could potentially cost $5,000 a piece, but it's really less about the dollars, I think, and just more about what her office, office represents. She talks so much about representing a movement or yeah. whatever else. This is where it, uh, rubber meets the road on this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and... and you know, according to her own statement, around January 28th, she had yeah. a conversation with the Seattle Ethics and Elections Commission, and they told her that this was illegal to do. And yet, uh, you know, even as late as, you know, February 9th, she and her council office were still co-sponsoring the event and were yeah. still promoting all this stuff on their official city website. So, you know, this looks really bad. This, this looks like either gross incompetence or just a willful violation of these laws. Yeah. So we've got a hearing coming up on this on March 4th. We'll definitely be keeping tabs on that. All right. Now it's time to start wrapping up with what's next. As we start to wrap up here, we want to start to talk about the things that are coming up for our local leaders here. And this state plan to tax big businesses with House Bill 2907, this deal to authorize King County to tax compensation paid by big businesses to employees making at least $150,000 a year, this is the big one right now. And it's an issue where there's a pushback, I know, from Councilmember Sawant's office and from other members of the city council, too, saying, hey, wait a minute. You can do something at the state level with King County and whatever else, but we still want to do something at the city level, too. What's the latest here, Kevin? Well, so State Representative Nicole Macri, yep. who represents a good chunk of Seattle, yep. has, is the prime sponsor of the spill, HB 2907. And uh, that is really going to be the vehicle for this. It's still uh, pushing through. It, it passed out of the House Finance Committee. And now Macri is trying to gather all the stakeholders, including her counterparts in the state Senate, mm-hmm. to really start hammering out what's the compromise bill that's going to be able to pass both houses there. Yeah. Right? And I was going to say, with this, I, I know there's been some businesses that have supported this, but in terms of business support, they are saying there's a bit of a poison pill for them, at least. They're saying, hey, the state plan, this sounds good. We'd be willing to pay this amount, but this extra amount that the city wants, they're trying to work in that kind of preemption piece so Seattle doesn't do something right. like that. They're trying to, to work in a provision of this bill so that Seattle can't do a, a, its own payroll tax yeah. on top of a county one. Right. And in looking at that, I, I'm just wondering, is this a deal where the state, it, it isn't in there right now, this preemption clause, right. as I understand it. It is here. not in there right now. Is it a situation where they could punt on this issue a little bit, just hand it to King County and say, you guys figure it out? Or what do you see happening there politically? They could. And, you know, the, we like, well, the, 
certainly we like talking about this and the, the politicians involved, including local ones, like talking about this as a black and white issue. Mm. Either they're completely preempted yeah. or they're not, mm-hmm. you know, or there's no limits on what they can do locally. Right, right. And I pressed uh, Mayor Durkin's office for, you know, the, the mayor's position on this mm-hmm. because she's been kind of evading the question for the last couple of weeks. Has, yeah. has, has this really been uh, kind of brewing up? And, you know, I got them to say that how the mayor thinks about it is a little different from this, right? Where, you know, recognizing that cities and counties don't have inherent authority to tax. They can only tax things when the state explicitly gives them permission to do that. Yeah. And in most cases, when the state does it, they put some kind of limit on that. Right. We see that for property taxes. Yep. We yep. see that for B&O taxes yep. and other kind of taxes. Yeah. And she says this is really no different, right? So if yeah. you think of preemption, you know, as a 0% cap mm-hmm. on what they might be able okay. to impose, okay. right? Um, they're saying the county could do somewhere between 0.1% and 0.2%. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe the city gets to do 0.1% or 0.5% yeah. or something on, on, on top of that, yeah. right? Yeah. Or maybe it's zero. You know, yeah. it's, it's unlikely that they'll come out with an, you know, no limit. So yeah. the city, you yeah. can do whatever the heck you right, want. Right, right, right? Right. And, that, and that would be, again, very consistent with how the state has approached this yeah. sort of thing in the past. Yeah. Maybe you know, an option here is if the county doesn't do the full 0.2%, mm-hmm then the city gets to top up. Yeah. So then yeah. it would be up to that full 0.2%. The numbers behind those numbers are this most recent McKinsey report, which talked about the amount of money that our region would need to invest in affordable housing for the next year, for the next 10 years. They're saying $450 million to a $1 billion. I mean, they're talking about a lot of money. This measure at the King County level here, at least the what the House Bill 2907 is talking about, would raise about $120 million. Sawant's office, which is really pushing for something else here, a $300 million citywide tax here, they're saying, hey, look, we're not even raising close to enough with this King County measure. And, and she's right. Yeah. This is, you know, the, the McKinsey report looked at just one segment of the affordable housing, yeah. saying, uh, what about people who just make 30% of the area median income or less, yeah. right? And what we need to do for housing, because, and they actually agreed with something that I've been saying for several years now, which is, you know, we can argue about whether the, you know, the the private housing market will, you know, figure out how to make housing for people making, you know, 80% of mm-hmm. the median income, yeah. right? There's really no argument that they're going to address the market for people making 30% yeah. median. Yeah. The only way you ever really address that is through public housing, yeah. right? Yeah. And maybe that's a really souped-up voucher program. Maybe it's actually the city and the county and the state and the federal government all building you know, public housing that's, yeah. that's, that's, that is rent-controlled, yeah. right? Yeah, right. It's rent-restricted right, right, right. Or, or some combination of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, really to address... The, the the people at 30% of median income and below, the only way you really do it is through these public programs. McKinsey yeah. has said that. Yeah. And then they did the math and they said for the larger Seattle King County area, the cost of that is going to be about $450 million to $1.1 billion per yeah, year for, right. for 10 years. It's going to cost up to – you know, somewhere between five billion and eleven billion right. to f- totally address that need, mm-hmm. because we have a growing aging population here. Yeah. They're just not going to have the income yeah. that they that they need to do that. So, so Sawant is right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a fascinating intersection, I think, between city, county, state uh, governments all coming together here. And can't wait to see what the next shoe to drop on that one is. I want to wrap up with the old I nine seventy six mess. We just, I, I know you were at the hearing a couple weeks ago and have been following this. King County Superior Court. Judge 
Marshall Ferguson rejected a lot of these arguments that I-976 was unconstitutional, uh, including that claim that it contained too many subjects, etc., which is a common uh, mm-hmm. complaint against a lot of Tim Iman measures here. And basically, he said, this is going through for the most part, but there are two issues remaining here that still have this thing on hold. And there was one in particular with regard to Burien that I wanted to talk about. Uh, this is a real key to this issue. So just a, a quick origin yeah. on why these two are still hanging yeah, yeah, yeah. around, mm-hmm. right? So this was kind of dueling motions for summary judgment, yeah, yeah, yeah. which says, yeah, we, we don't need to do discovery. We don't need to do a whole bunch of you know, other things to go collect facts. None of the facts are disputed. Yeah, right. This is just a matter of legal interpretation. So we're going to hand it to the judge and say, judge, look at the law, mm-hmm. look at the facts that aren't you know, in dispute at all, yeah. and tell us what the law says about this. Yeah. But for these two issues... The parties came back and they said, or at least one of the parties came back and said, you know, actually the facts are kind of in dispute in this, so mm. we really need to do discovery. On yeah. This. So the judge agreed with that and said, the you know, the facts are in dispute. I'm going to approve you to go off in your discovery, and so I'll rule on everything except these two issues. So one of them is whether the city of Burien's bonds that they've issued mm-hmm. are actually impaired by. Um, by the restrictions put on by Initiative 976, mm-hmm. because they would uh, be they would have to rescind taxes that they promised would be used yes. to pay these bonds that they issued. Right, right, right. And the state constitution says that no law can impair bonds. Yeah, right. So that's one of the issues. Yeah. And then you know the other issue is Initiative 976 said that um, vehicle valuation mm-hmm. has to be done by the Kelly Blue Book, mm-hmm. and uh, there are some issues about you know, what that really means and how mm-hmm. that plays out. Right? Yeah. So that one is a is a pretty small deal yeah. and it could easily sort of be cut out of, of 976 and the rest of it go on and live. Yeah. The Burian one is a big one because yeah. if they come back and say the bonds are impaired, that basically just cuts to the heart of 976. Yeah. And most, if not all, of it would get thrown out. Yeah. I, I know this is something that's going to end up going to Supreme Court regardless. So. And, and by the way, yeah. one of... Tim Iman's earlier $30 car tab initiatives mm-hmm. was thrown out on that exact issue that it actually impaired bonds. Okay. Well, right. and I know he's uh, he's no stranger to the courtroom on, on all of his initiatives there. So, Kevin, thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Seattle News, Views, and Brews. Kevin, as always, great to have you here. Great to be here. Oh, and a macaron update. Uh, Kevin <laughs> didn't bring them this week. Uh, didn't do a lot of baking, but it's coming soon. I can't yeah, wait. yeah. There'll be there'll be more baked goods Un- until it's un- like, there is no fine fine baking until it's time. Thank you. All right. So the next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, give us a listen and find out what's brewing. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Callanan Media Services. Copyright 2020.